0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. And here's the music that we kind of like. Do you like the music? I have heard it. You've heard it. Can't complain. So Sam is not here today. But today we have a special guest. We have Pastor Jochi. Chi. Welcome to Gospel Well Podcast. I feel special. With Pastor Jochi, Chi. And today we are taking a break from our usual topics. We're going to ask Pastor Joe, just his backstory, to know him through this medium. Pastor Joe, tell us your backstory.
1: My backstory. Born and raised in the Philadelphia area. I am the second of three children, all boys. My dad... Immigrated back in 69. So one of the earlier folks, at least in the Philadelphia region. Yeah. 50 plus years in Philadelphia. I love my sports, my now no longer local Philly teams. I've been married since 97, so you can do the math. And we have three, I guess you can call them children. They're a bit overgrown now. 22, 20, and 18. Two of them are still in undergrad. And one is making money on his own. Praise God. He is independent. That hurts my tax refund, but oh well. I came to the Lord in 13. You probably wouldn't have known that from 13 to 19 or 18. I think we all have our wilderness periods, and mine was a bit extended. Right around that time, that's when I met Pastor Sam.
0: Well, you just glossed over 13 and 19. (laughs) Yeah,
1: sorry. There's so much there. That'll be more than one podcast, unfortunately. But if you are really interested, just invite me over or invite yourself over. Seriously, that's not a problem. We love to cook for people and host them.
0: Let's go back a little bit. So I met you in 1976.
1: Wow, I couldn't have told you
0: the year. but Yeah, Yeah, because I moved into Philly in 76, and it was your dad... Who met us? Your dad had the first Korean supermarket. That is correct. Right. It was a hole in the wall. Yes. It wasn't very super, but it was a market. It was a market. You got to take what you can get. We lived a block and a half away. He was the one who took us to register for school. I didn't know that. Yeah, because you you were even younger, right? You moved out to the Burbs. Yes. I don't know, a year or two after, I think, we moved same apartment building the apartment below you guys yeah so there you go so you grew up 13 to 19 just give us a general like sense of how 13 to 19 was
1: 13 to 19 well jesus was there but my sin masked much of the Holy Spirit, uh, but praise God, he is sovereign and faithful. And once you are in his hands, he doesn't let you go. So I do believe Jesus was in my heart, but there was very, if any presence of the word or discipleship following the Lord. And so I allowed like so many of the Israelites to look back and believe that the previous life was better, resorted back to my old ways. Didn't understand that I was new, that I was united to Christ. And so there was a lot of trouble. They used to be shameful, but the gospel now turns that shame into glory. But uh, Episodes uh, had some trouble with the law, Uh, almost didn't make it out of high school, almost forced my parents out of shame to move out of Philadelphia, I think, because they were so embarrassed by what I was doing. And it had become a bit public at the church. Yeah, just a lot of even struggles with drugs and alcohol. I hate to say, uh, but not cliché-ish, but typical 80s-type wandering experience that was mine. Yeah, it was a missions trip from our church to Mexico. I had volunteered to go because, hey, I had nothing better to do with my summer. But then I realized my friends from college were coming back, and so I backed out. And my dad said to me, if you don't go you have to work at a dry cleaner's for the whole summer. So I rejoined the team. That's right. A hundred and plus temperatures in the in the east, forget it. So I went to Mexico and as they're ministering to people, I just the Holy Spirit was just really active in my heart, reminding me of what had happened many years ago, the gospel message, realizing that I was just as much in need of the gospel, even though I didn't think I needed to be reconverted. I knew where I was as a believer, I needed Jesus just as badly as they did. That was a turning point for me. And Eventually, I found myself in Massachusetts, which was a good way to kind of sever some ties that held me down in my home setting. As they say, the rest is history, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. Yeah, so there was, believe, only one Korean church, and I had only gone to Korean churches growing up, so... Everyone that was Korean-American seemed to go there. Met up with some guys in the dorm who were Korean-American, and they attended that church, and they took me there. Now, at the time, when I first started going to the church, Sam wasn't there. It was Pastor Billy Park— who I think we overlapped for maybe a semester or two at most. And then second semester, he, I believe, started bringing Sam out, and then there was the transition. So right around that time when the Lord turned my life back around, he began to place a call in my heart to begin the journey to pastoral ministry. started to feel it around towards the end of my freshman year, became convinced I fought it a bit, I think, because... I was a bit embarrassed to tell people that that's what I felt I should be doing or headed towards. I think I was still harboring that bit of, oh, I don't want to be labeled like a Jesus freak kind of person. How much more freakish can one be than a pastor, you know? So I remember sitting in youth group, even though I was at a youth group, sitting in service and one of my old friends tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, are you going to be a minister? That's what I hear. At that time, I actually was convinced in my heart that's what God was calling me to do. And I said, no, I'm not. I was still, again, fighting this public image that I wanted to present. Um, I didn't want to present this bad boy image anymore, but I didn't want people to think, oh, my primary identity was Christian. It's funny how he kind of overlapped those two. I wasn't fully settled and comfortable in my own Christian skin, and yet he began to call me to ministry. Uh, yes, I met my wife in college. She went to a neighboring school to the University of Massachusetts. She went to an all womens college called Mount Holyoke. We met there. She was not a believer. There was a bit of a struggle internal because obviously i was uh, attracted to her but at the same time i did not want to interfere in any of god's work or cloud it at least my fear was she would be dating me because you know i'm so hot and not because uh <laughs> so she would pretend to be a christian or not knowingly pursue jesus because she just wanted to be with
0: me. did you have hair at the time i did oh so that's where the hotness comes i did
1: i had locks <laughs> flowing locks <laughs> So, you, did you start dating? We did. Uh, we dated, and we broke up, and we dated again. Most of that was because my heart was wrestling with my physical attraction to her. My heart was saying, "Again, don't, don't interfere in what the Holy Spirit could do in her life." And yet, I just really liked her so much. Get back together. But wonderfully, before Billy left, she was confirmed.
0: Pastor Billy. Yeah.
1: So Billy was the one who confirmed her faith. Even though there was a little bit of doubt, I mean, inevitably there would be a little bit of doubt when we were still together. Eventually, she went off to transfer to a university in Korea. I know this is not even a podcast-worthy story, maybe a drama series, but we dated, you know, long distance for four-plus, almost five years. And during that time being apart, it was just affirmation that she was a true believer, we weren't together there was no reason for her to kind of fake it even if it was never intentional so she grew immensely and so actually that in hindsight was a gift of god's grace because it allowed both of us however difficult it was it allowed us to really grow individually personally in the lord
0: how did you eventually get back
1: together in the same city Eventually, yeah. I Well, I took time off at the time. I was uh, a student at Westminster. Seminary. And I just finished my second year, and we both had sort of reached a limit where we were like, okay, we want to get married. And to give you a little sneak peek, I guess you could say, the reason why we were apart is because her parents opposed us being together. So went out to Korea and worked things out with her parents. Again, if, if you're really interested, come ask. Uh, Invite yourselves over, and we can share all the juicy details.
0: Then you got married, yeah, and she came back to us. Yeah, we got married actually in Philadelphia area.
1: We stayed there for a bit. See, we got married in '97. Eventually, in 2004, I felt the Lord was calling me to academics. I accepted the admissions to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. We headed out. With two kids and a very pregnant wife. That should tell you just how convinced we were this was God's will. Very little money in our pockets, but we went. How <laughs> long were you there? We were there for... We could have stayed one year. I was required to do one-year residence. And then I could have returned to the U.S. and finished off. But I realized, you know, and I might as well just stick it out. We stayed a total four. We thought it would be three. And then the church that we had become a part of there, it was actually... A Chinese church, if you think Korean churches struggle with two languages, Chinese churches, that's no child's play. I mean, they've got Cantonese, Mandarin, and English going on. They actually asked me to be their senior pastor for a year, and they knew it, it would only be for a year. So we extended our stay from three to four. They helped me get a visa to stay long, and then we returned stateside. What was your dissertation in? My dissertation, oh, yes. It's officially listed as a history PhD. It's probably more of a historical theology, but the university doesn't have that category. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, broadly speaking, I researched the Puritans, but more specifically, an individual named John Cott, who was a New England Puritan, famously known as the father of congregationalism. And some say he's even the father of Boston. Those are his claims to fame. I studied his eschatology. Eschatology? Eschatology. He is actually more famously known for his soteriology. And if any of you are history people out there, you may know the name Ann Hutchinson. He is intertwined with Ann Hutchinson. Little is known about his eschatology. And he actually preached a lot from the book of Revelation. And he also believed that the Song of Solomon was an apocalyptic book. So it was a book of prophecy. He could locate the prophecy of Martin Luther and earlier reformers like Jan Hus, the Song of Solomon. And he believed that the, the seals in the book of Revelation were being unveiled and opened as he was living. And that the new Jerusalem would dawn in the 1650s. Now, he never got to see that his prognostication was wrong because he died in the early part of the decade. I think he believed 1658, the New Jerusalem would dawn, and he died, I believe, 53. I studied his interpretations in the context of what was going on in England with their civil wars, the execution of Charles I, with the rise of Oliver Cromwell, etc. I know, boring stuff. If you struggle with sleep out there, I will lend you my dissertation. It will do the trick, I guarantee it.
0: You came back to America. Yeah. And... Then what was your next?
1: Uh, So I came back to America and I thought the Lord wanted me to teach, but I had every door closed to me, which is fine. It was, you know, it's tough to take rejection. I think I came to peace with God reminding me that my primary calling was to pastoral ministry. So I accepted a call. I was very close to ending up in Southern California. There was a church that unanimously... Agreed to call me, and I turned it down for a call to a church in the Philly region. My wife kind of saw that coming, uh, knowing how much love and I had for my city. So we pastored and did a little adjunct work, some online teaching at Westminster, but was a senior pastor for about close to six years, and then after that stepped away. Eventually became a middle school Bible teacher at a school called Philmont Christian Academy. It was started by one of the founding professors of Westminster, Cornelius Van Till. I actually attended the school for one year. Funny story, on our literature and our marketing, we call ourselves a reformed school. Now, if you are thinking of it in terms of like a 1970s, 80s mentality, you're not thinking reformed theology. One day I asked my dad, I said, dad, why did you send me alone and not my older younger brother? And he said, because you were the worst of the three. Oh, reformed. And so I, I do believe it wasn't reformed theology that attracted him. It was a Christian school that was going to reform me. I'm serious. I, I really believe that. I went for one year and he couldn't afford it anymore. So he put me back into public school and I ended up there teaching. And the funny thing is, my wife and I were already sending our kids there. And so I wanted to teach there because I really believe in that school Mm -hmm. and what they do. It's a school that's located right on the edge of the suburbs. And it, it kind of straddles Philly and what's called Montgomery County. So I was there for eight years. Seven of them were middle school years. And my last year was teaching high school
0: you also coached.
1: I did. I coached coached the girls basketball team for three years. I was an assistant soccer coach. Some kids joked around and said I was more of a chaplain. And I must (laughs) confess, I don't know anything about soccer. So you're probably wondering, how in the world were you a soccer coach if you didn't know anything about soccer? I think if you know athletics, you can do A certain amount of coaching. So I was the assistant. So I could see strategy and and who was good at what position and, and what worked athletically. Now with the girls team, it was a lot of fun. We had maybe the worst girls team. I hope, ladies, you're not listening. But they might have been the worst team in... World civilization history. Yes, maybe. But I accept full responsibility for that. I accept full responsibility. But it was such a wonderful experience because they were my students. They just loved being with each other, practicing. They didn't practice hard. They weren't very talented. But man, when we lost those van rides home, they were not silent and with tears. They were filled with Taylor Swift. So, you know, they were just celebrating and life. So it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Tell us more about your kids. So I've got three... Benjamin Joseph. He may be the only of the three that we actually still call by his Korean name. I don't know why. And actually, none of my kids, their legal names are all Anglo or American. So Benjamin Joseph, Ben. He is 22. He graduated from the Naval Academy in Maryland. He is in Charleston, South Carolina, studying something nuclear-related. I don't know what. But as long as he doesn't fire off some nuclear warheads in a submarine he eventually will be in, I'll be happy. Uh, But that's where he is. And then I have a daughter, Emily Abigail. Abigail, I wanted to name her Abigail. My wife thought it was too colonial. But so uh, I kind of lost. That. I guess that was the um, the compromise to have her. Uh, Abigail is her middle name. So Emily Abigail is a junior at Wheaton and she's studying biology, having a wonderful time. She's doing great there. Then I have Ewan Gabriel. Ewan. Gabriel. (laughs) Yes, Gabriel. Now, Ewan may be the only, he's the only Asian Ewan I know. He's named Ewan because he was born in Scotland. So Ewan is a freshman at Penn State. And when we asked Ewan, where do you want to go to school? He really didn't care. He just wanted to go to school with a really big sports program. And Penn State football, they're ranked number seven. Hopefully, we can get to the BCS this year. He is loving it. Of the three, I think he's having the best experience, and he's only been there not even a month. My impression is he's doing well academically. studying, but he is playing a lot of basketball, which is what he wanted to do. We will find out this week whether he has been accepted as one of many managers for the men's basketball team. So we're looking forward, and he thinks he's got it. That hasn't been confirmed, so... As a manager,
0: does he, what does he do?
1: Well, there are three types of managers for this team. They're the kind that just catch rebounds during practice. There's the kind that wipes the floor and does a bit of laundry. And then there's one other manager. Now he may be the second, but one other manager who actually does some video analysis. He would love to do that. In fact, he's a statistics major because he wants to go into sports analytics as a profession. So he told them that. And I think that made them very interested because he's not just some guy who likes to hang around athletes. Right. Now, he definitely can play ball. So He's a good ball player. He's just a little short, 5'6". So. so we'll see. But he is hoping to showcase his skills a little bit, not in hopes to make the team or anything, but just to see how he matches up against the players in the team. How's their basketball? Actually, last year was a good year for them. They made it to March Madness. I think they even made it to the second round. That's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, Penn State's usually not known for its basketball, but for football. Yeah, I did not know that
0: Penn State was good in volleyball until much later.
1: Did you know I taught volleyball in college?
0: What do you mean? You taught volleyball in college?
1: I interviewed to teach. Like, undergrads at UMass could try out an interview to be phys ed teacher for certain courses. So I actually, I actually was a table tennis instructor because there were so many sections. Now the woman, the one woman in front of me, the section in front of me earlier than me, she was an actual professional. So all my students were like, "Oh, Joe, you got a player!" Yeah, and I was so scared. So I was an instructor for table tennis and actually an instructor for volleyball as well. For now volleyball, I know you've never seen me play volleyball, and now whatever I can do now is. It would pale in comparison to what I did then. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, there were never any aspirations or delusions of a volleyball career, but my kids laugh at that stuff. So whenever I try to still boast that I had a better athletic life, I tell them, you guys never taught in college. So, yeah, <laughs> they, they can't beat me on that one our house it's all about athletics i know that is our idol athletics for jesus i'll just throw that in there but it's athletics
0: is that from you or is that from sunny it's
1: it's it's from me and i've even converted her she she is she's scary when she starts rooting for teams she's scary like when i watch i just watch i'm quiet but she is she's crazy Mm -hmm. yeah there's a spunk in there don't let her deceive you she's
0: like what makes you a philly sports fan
1: that's a very good question. Don't know because my brothers are not like me. Now, the earliest recollection I have regarding my fandom, back in the days when we used to have home economics, you would know. <laughs> yes, people, yes. Younger people who are listening to this, they have no idea. But home economics, I remember in elementary school, I did a home economics project where it was something knitting-oriented. And I did mine on all four sports teams. Yeah, so it was kind of funny. So it was early on. It was really early on, and and my parents did say that the one thing that set me apart uh, differently from the other two was when the, even from the youngest ages, if I was finished with my food, I would just throw my dishes and cups to the sink. I was always throwing stuff. So everything was a sport, like everything. I just and even now, my wife hates it because we always throw our trash. We, I mean, like literally throw our trash as if we're shooting a basket. And I know they must have picked that up for me. I don't even realize I do it. Everything's always like a shot, everything. But yeah, I've always been into my sports, all four sports. As we say in Philly, four for four.
0: I grew up in Philly. I don't know these (laughs) words. I mean, yes, I do know the Eagles song, but. (laughs) I won't sing it, trust me. Actually, I was about to start as an introduction. When I first introduced you at Wellspring, I was about to start singing the Eagles (laughs) song. You don't want
1: me to sing. People would shut the podcast off right now.
0: Uh, <laughs> any last thoughts that you have for Wells? you'd be nice if people knew this about you
1: i mean i've been described as so philly and i'm okay with that being out here I, I don't think i need to really become so norcal or anything like that and i don't think i can be i love my philly sports i am die hard The few times I've cried have mostly been because of the sports teams, when they've lost and when they've won. I admit that. I I do cry for Jesus. And I I love cooking. I love trying to make things from scratch. And I don't hate cilantro as much as I think people think I do. But uh, I slowly over time have built up a tolerance. It's just... Not anything I think I would wake up asking to eat. Uh, I love cooking. I love eating and just talking to people. I, I'm i sarcastic. Very sarcastic.
0: Is it very or just sarcastic?
1: I, I'll say very. I may hold back depending on the circumstance. And sure, I do find myself in far too many occasions where I've said some maybe have gone too far. And So that's still something that's, that's a sanctification work in progress issue for me.
0: I mean, sarcastic, that comes with being from Philly. I think there's some sarcasm in
1: scripture, isn't there?
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, we're from Philly. Learned over the years that Philly people... We tend to be more sarcastic than other parts of the country. The only way I realized that or heard of that is when I stepped out of Philly. And then you interact with Northern Virginia people. That's right. Even New Yorkers. Yeah. I thought they would be more sarcastic, but then they get hurt by me. Yeah. Which is kind of, maybe just me.
1: No, I, I, I get that too. So if I go too far, just let me know. We're brothers, sisters in the Lord. Let me know.
0: It's the latest complex food that you cooked. I
1: think I make a pretty decent ramen,
0: like a original. Okay,
1: I admit it, it is a cheat. So I do combine pork and chicken flavors into the broth. I don't spend hours and hours um, boiling chicken's feet or uh, pork necks or things like that. So I I would love to do that. It's just there was one winter where I wanted to make something rather quickly for my kids and I wanted to try it out. People loved it. So I was like, oh, all right, this is a keeper. So if you want to try my ramen, come on over again, set a date. I don't have kids, so I can't say my kids are busy and we're going to some soccer match or something can't say that anymore so you are welcome anytime
0: i've learned things about you that i did not know so (laughs) this was great we're thankful for pastor joe to be here thank you he'll be not just being a guest but he'll be a regular host as we go forward have a good week see you next time